So uh, we're continuing our studies in uh, Matthew 5 this morning. So Matthew 5 and verse 38. If you have your Bible, please follow along. Matthew 5 verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do, you, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's just pray before John comes and speaks to us. Father, this morning um, as, we, as we gather here, as we gather in the comfort of this building with no threat around us, it would be remiss of us not to um, think of those who haven't got the same luxuries as us this morning. Father, I pray for those um, in Israel at the minute. Father, we can't really imagine what it must be like to be suddenly attacked. And so, God, I pray for those people there. I pray for that country, that land. God, I pray that you will help. I pray that you will bring peace. Father, I pray for those who are yours, who are there. I pray that this will be a time when they know and feel the power of your presence with them in ways like they've never known before. I pray that they will turn to you for help. I pray that you will give wisdom to know um, what the next steps are. So, Father, I pray that you will help your people to know that you are still sovereign over all things at all times. Father, so many um, wars in our world. So, Father, we think of Ukraine still ongoing. Father, I think of um, Turkey and Syria still trying to recover from that earthquake. God, I pray in all of these things that I pray that this will be an opportunity and these things will be an opportunity for the church to rise up, for the church to um, be seen, for the church to be missional. I pray that in all of these countries that where these things are happening, where there is devastation. God, I pray that your people will turn to you. And I pray that the church will be active, so, so active. And I pray that there will be many, many, many opportunities to lead people to Christ, 
in the midst of war and disaster. So God, I pray that you will turn many hearts to you. Father, I pray for us here closer to home. I pray for um, our country. I pray for our leadership here. God, our leadership need you. I pray that our leadership will turn to Jesus. I pray that you will guide them. I pray for those again who are yours within the politics of our country. I pray that you will help them to do what is right. I pray that you will help them to be spirit-led people. I pray that their Christianity won't just be a tag-on in their life, but I pray that your glory and your honor will be first and foremost in their desire. And so give them strength and give them wisdom, give them courage, help them to do what is right. Father, I pray for us here this morning. I pray you'll help us as we gather, help our kids as they gather in their spaces. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will be very evident here this morning. Will you open our hearts, open our hearts ready to receive the seed of your word? Will you help us to be listening out and watching out for what you want to say to us personally? Father, what a privilege that you, the King of all kings, would choose to be here this morning and also would care for us and delight in us and invest in us so much that you have a personal word for us this morning, not just a general word for us all, but a personal word for us. And so help us to be listening for that this morning. And I pray that you will change us as a result of being here this morning. I pray that you will help John here now as he brings your word, help our kids' leaders as they bring your word in their spaces. Will you help them to know and feel the power of your presence, the power of your Holy Spirit, um, carrying them, guiding them, and guarding their words. And I pray that you will speak now, all for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Marcus. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, good to be with you today, and uh, it's good to be back in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and today we're looking at this passage on, if you've got your Bible in front of you, and I hope you do, uh, you'll see this is entitled, a small head, heading above this section is called Retaliation. Retaliation. Ryan Holiday wrote a book called, a few years ago called Ego is the Enemy. Ego is the Enemy. But what is ego? Well, ego is a, a psychological term that means one sense of self-importance. One's sense of self-importance. Self Essentially, ego is pride. Essentially, ego is pride. And essentially, it is the enemy that lies within us all. It is the enemy that lies within. And you see, Jesus knows this. 
And Jesus knows that we have an enemy that it is within us, and it's our egos. It's our pride. And in large part, what we have in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus knowing this and Jesus giving this manifesto, as I've talked about many times, this manifesto to the first, first of his disciples, this was going to be the way of the kingdom of God. The manifesto that he gives them in large part is dealing with this issue of ego, dealing with the issue of pride within ourselves. Jesus wants to, to, to outline that the way of the kingdom is that pride must die. It has to go if we are to be part of the kingdom of God. And so again, he comes to this section and he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye. That's probably one of the most popular, I would say, uh, well-known phrases in the biblical text. People love to throw that one out, like, don't they? They love to say, oh, well, they did this, an eye for an eye, and all that. And no context, no knowing what it means, no nothing. They just love to fire that phrase out, an eye for an eye. What this is known as uh, by theologians is, uh, and I'd probably get this pronunciation wrong, is the lex talionis. The lex talionis. The law of retaliation. It's found in Exodus 21. And Leviticus 24, this law of retaliation, this eye for an eye. And again, Jesus is saying to the disciples and those around, you've heard it said. Again, to give it the context, you've heard it said, as in you've not read it for yourself, you've not studied it for yourself, but you are listening to the Pharisees and Sadducees and whoever else is teaching you, and you've heard their interpretation of it, and this is what you've heard. But the purpose of the law Again, getting back to the purpose of the law was to ensure that that punishment for an act, for an evil act, was proportionate to the offense. That's the purpose of the law. The penalty must fit the crime. That was the purpose. The phrase eye for an eye was itself a formula that was rarely, if ever, strictly applied, funny enough. It meant that compensation had to be appropriate for the loss incurred. For example, a man who killed another man's ox. I love the biblical ox. We, we don't go around refraining saying ox very much. Cow. I'll put, it in, I'll put it in like cow or bull, right, or bullock or whatever. A man who kills another man's bullock must not necessarily produce another one of the very same for him, but he must maybe pay him what it was worth. It is a proportionate response. Only in the case of premeditated murder was compensation actually forbidden. In the case of murder, it was literally life for life. It was life for life. And you see, this is precisely what the law of retaliation was designed to prevent. It was designed to prevent in proportionate responses. It was supposed to be fair. Once someone had done something wrong, there was an appropriate response, and that was the end of the matter. We must also remember that this law in Leviticus and Exodus fell into into the domain of public civil justice. It was not, and this is the vital point, this is the vital point of today's, what Jesus is saying here, basically all of what he's saying is this, it was not a law endorsing personal 
revenge. It was not a law endorsing personal revenge. The intent of the law was actually to undermine personal vendetta. That's the purpose. It was an instrument of the court that would make things fair. And Charles Spurgeon, his response to this, comments that this, that believers in light of these things that Jesus says, Spurgeon says this, Let him have all he asks and more. Better to lose a suit of clothes than to be drawn into a suit in law. The court of our Lord's day was vicious, and his disciples were advised to suffer wrong sooner than appeal to them. Our own courts often furnish the surest method of solving a difficulty by authority, and we have known them to be resorted to with, with the view of preventing strife. Yet, even in a country where justice can be had, we are not to resort to law for every personal wrong. We should rather endure to be put upon than to be ever crying out, I'll bring an action. At times, this very rule of self-sacrifice may require us to take steps in the way of legal appeal, to stop injuries which would fall upon, heavily upon others. But we ought, here's, here's a critical part, but we ought often to forgo our own advantage. Yet always when, we, when the main motive would be proud desire for self-vindication. And then he says this, Lord, give me a patient spirit so that I may not seek to avenge myself even when I might righteously do so. You see, that's the point. The point here of this text is not to say that we just roll over when wrongs happen. But it is to say that we don't take personal revenge. Personal revenge. Jesus says the words here, do not resist the evil one. So, you could read a text like that. You can, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I said, you do not resist the one who is evil. All right? So you could, you could read a text like that and you could just rip that out of the context and you could say, well then, that just means you just let anything happen and you just roll over and it constitutes like unqualified uh, uh, resisting any forms of evil. And probably a lot of people have taken that like that. Martin Luther tells a story of, uh, not Martin Luther King, Martin Luther the Reformer. Martin Luther the Reformer tells a story of a man who had lice crawling all over him. And he wouldn't kill the lice because of that text. Do not resist the evil one. Now that's taking it to the extreme. I ain't going to bother them wee things until they're all, you know, that's not, that's not what, ew. I'm crawling up here even thinking about that. Uh, look at me, I'm all like, ooh. Uh, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. Because Jesus, uh, the Bible, other, other places, tells us to resist evil. So this, this text, do not resist the evil one, does not constitute absolute, literal, unqualified prohibition against resisting all forms of evil. It doesn't. It cannot be the case. Because I'm going to give you like seven examples here from Scripture 
where, where the Bible tells us to resist evil. First, one way it would, it would prohibit us from disciplining our children when we see the evil that is in them. I know you don't think yours are evil. Yours are all saints and all that area, but inherently they're evil. All right, let's just be honest. They're all born in sin. But we couldn't discipline our children. We couldn't chastise them. We couldn't discipline them. Paul, Peter, James, for example, frequently exhort us to resist the devil, the ultimate embodiment of evil. Third, Galatians 2, Paul resisted Peter to his face when he got out of line with the gospel. Like they had a row. I know Bible people aren't supposed to row, right? Yeah? Paul resisted Peter, two apostles, going at it because one of them got out of sync with the gospel. John uh, 18, Jesus appears himself to resist police brutality. When one of, the, one, of, one of the officers slap him in the face, he appeals to the law and says, you'd no right to do that. Fifth, Matthew 18, Jesus commands us to resist the evil in our brothers when he advocates church discipline. We are to resist evil. Sixth, uh, six. Romans 13 clearly endorses the right and responsibility of human government to resist and punish evildoers. This would come under what is known as just war theory. Seven. Jesus himself violently and angrily, righteous anger as it was, resisted the evil of the Pharisees when he cleansed the temple. Timmy Kernigan actually told me this morning that they're looking at the cleansing of the temple in there this morning and what he planned to do was bring the kids in, make whips, bring the kids in, whip us all and turn over the chairs. So, just to prepare you. Just, if that happens, you know why. Alright? Tim hasn't lost the plot. Just, that's, that's what, this, you know, I don't think he'll do it. But anyway. What Jesus is saying is this. And this is important. Jesus is not saying we should not stand against injustice or we should not stand against evil. He is saying this, do not retaliate against those who have maliciously opposed you personally. His statement is not meant to apply when a third party is involved. His statement is not meant to apply when a third party is involved. If someone assaults your neighbor, someone assaults your friend, someone assaults your child, someone who assaults someone who is weak and helpless, you are, you must go to their defense. You must. Jesus is not suggesting that we stand idly by while others are being injured. He's not forbidding us from opposing evil when it threatens our families or our society. What he is forbidding is the taking of revenge for purely personal reasons. When nothing is ultimately at stake except our pride, except our ego, and our so-called rights or our reputation, then we are to forgo. Spurgeon again said, we are to be the anvil when bad men are the hammers. 
Jesus is not prohibiting the administration of justice, but he is prohibiting the taking of the law into our own hands for the purpose of personal revenge. Do you know the attitude? I'll get even with you for this. I'll get you for this. We all know the phrase, I get you in the long grass. That can mean several things. I don't know, like, like, but I think it means, I have a fairly good idea, it means I'll get you back. Or there's a long road with no turning, isn't all. We are not to extract personal revenge. Jesus is not advocating temperamental weakness or moral compromise, but he is prohibiting us seeking personal revenge. His words are not a license for the bully or the tyrant. Christians are to fight evil in society. We are called to do that. What John Stott says, he teaches not the irresponsibility which encourages evil, but the forbearance which renounces revenge. So you get the point. This is not about rolling over for every single evil act that ever happens. There are certain situations and certain times when we are to resist evil. But we are not to take revenge for personal egotistical reasons. Jesus then gives us these examples. And I want to run through the examples very quickly because you'll see how they, how they work out in this framework. Turning the other cheek. Uh, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one. For if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, does this mean, you could take that again, does this mean that we are not allowed to defend ourselves at all? Does this rule out self-defense? You're walking down the street, you're going to get mugged. Does that mean that you just roll over? No, it doesn't. Jesus is not talking about physical assault here per se, but personal insult. I've been trying to figure this out all week, and I, I can't sort of get it right because I'm left-handed. But in the context, it was a personal insult Jesus is talking about here when he says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, so what Jesus is saying, if someone takes their right hand, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to even figure it out now in my own head, if someone takes their right hand and smacks you across the right cheek, it means that they've hit you with the back of their hand. And in the context, that was the worst possible insult that you could do. And so it's not the act in itself that Jesus is talking about, it is the insult that is behind the act. It is the degrading element of the insult that he's talking about. It is, it's assaulting someone's dignity and honor, more or less. According to the Mishnah, uh, the penalty for such an act was twice, was twice that of mere physical assault. So, for example, some drunk, violent person attacks me going down the street. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to defend myself? Yes. Because they're not trying to insult me. They're trying to hurt me. And I have to defend myself. And that's okay. What if you discover a thief in your home? What are you supposed to do? Can you defend yourself? Absolutely. I think I've told the story before of 
Bert, my father. Some of you will know Bert very well. Some of you not so much, so this story might be a bit confusing for you. But my mother and father both don't be well at times, and so Bert doesn't know really how to use a phone, right? So he'll turn up at the house in the middle of the night, randomly. And one time, I don't know how it happened, but he managed to get a key, right? So instead of ringing the doorbell, as any normal human being would do, Bert arrived at the top of the stairs, right? And me, in the middle of the night, wouldn't be great now. I just... So I arose out of a slumber and went to the top of the stairs, and Bert was going to get it. Like, seriously. It's luck- that was- He's like a cat with nine lives anyway. But it's lucky he didn't get pasted back down the stairs. Right? Now, because I thought he was an intruder, someone coming to cause harm. He's a very lucky man. Would I have been right to do that? Yes. Proportionate response, obviously. Proportionate response. We are right to defend ourselves. Self-defense is okay. Jesus is prohibiting, our effort, again, our efforts to, to vindicate our egos. When someone insults you, more or less, what he's saying, when someone insults you or degrades you personally, what are you to do? You're to absorb it. You're to absorb it. It is the act of degrading or loss of dignity or honor, or when we get to the very, very crux of it, what is it? It's our egos. Our egos have been damaged. Our, self, our sense of self-importance has been damaged. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Let it go. Take it in. Let it go. It's not the act of physical violence itself. Surrender your coat. Jesus says, if anyone would take, would see you and take your tunic. Let him have your cloak as well. Real important distinction here to make actually is the distinction between shirt and coat. In Exodus 22, uh, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak, it was, it was a pledge, but you're, we're actually told in Exodus that if you took someone's coat, you must return it to them before sundown because they actually slept in it. It was a garment to keep them warm. People who, had, who were listening to Jesus knew this passage. And they knew that no one could permanently take your coat. It had to be returned. This was your possession for your good, for, your, for you to sleep in, basically. And they would have realized the point of the illustration is simply on this occasion that when the law protects us, it may be necessary for us to forgo our rights. It may be necessary for us to forgo our rights, even those things which we regard as our rights by law, we must be prepared to abandon for the sake of the gospel. This is the way of the kingdom. Are we willing to do that?
Never have we lived in a society, probably more so than the one we live in now, where our rights are the most important thing to us. We demand. It's, it's about us, what, we, we're, what we're owed, what we're due, what we deserve, all of the above. If someone wrongs us, we must get them back. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way of the kingdom. It's not the way of the kingdom. Are we willing, for the sake of the gospel, rather to be wronged than to uphold our rights? Going the extra mile, Jesus is here appealing to the ancient custom in the government where which a government official could legally draft a civilian to help them carry something for this, this mile. This was part of the law. They could draft a, a civilian. The Roman military adopted this practice in Palestine. Evidently, that's what happened with Simon of Cyrene. When they, when, and when they pressed into service, a passerby come from the country, Simon of Cyrene, he helped carry Jesus' cross. That's what they did. And Jesus says here, if they do, if they do that, that's the law. If they do that, which, is, which was taken as an insult actually by, by Jews, if they do that, go the extra mile with them. If they insult you, go the extra mile. As I say, the Jews looked upon this obligation in law as degrading. It was a personal insult. It was irritating and it was an imposition. But the point Jesus is making is this. Are we willing to be exploited and put upon for the sake of the gospel? What he's saying is don't be irritated. Don't be exasperated when others take advantage of you. Do you see how countercultural the message of the kingdom of God actually is? Everything in our world today will tell us the opposite of that. Everything in our world today will tell us you protect you. You make sure you set your boundaries. You make sure you have me enough me time, in fact. You make sure you, whatever, 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 you, all of the above. And the gospel, Jesus comes along and says, are you willing to be put upon? Are you willing to be put out? For the sake of the gospel. T.W. Manson said this. The first mile renders to Caesar what are Caesar's. And the second mile renders unto God what is God's. If you go the first mile you're just doing what you are, should be doing anyway. The second mile is where we render unto what? is God's. Give to him who asks. Let him have your cloak. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Right. Again, does that mean 
that we are simply to give to every single person who would ever ask for us for, for anything. No, it doesn't. The Bible clearly, and see, this is where you've got to take the whole Bible into, into consideration, and this is why context is important, and this is why we need to know scriptures, so that then we can go, no, that, these, these things don't automatically line up. We need to know the whole picture. Paul, in Second Thessalonians, says this, anyone who is undisciplined and slothful, he says, if anyone will not work, neither let him eat. If anyone will not work, Neither let him eat. What, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying to the one who is capable of working to provide for themselves and their families and they do not, that's sin. It's sin. What Jesus is saying here is that we are to have an open-hearted, open, openly generous, radical generosity to those who are in genuine need through no fault of their own. Sometimes it maybe, isn't, maybe even is a fault of their own, but they're genuinely in need. And they, for whatever reason, can't do anything about it. We are to be open-hearted and generous towards such people. The point of all of this passage is this. We are not to avenge ourselves for the sakes of our egos. I guarantee you now, well, okay, I shouldn't say that. I would imagine most of us, when we are wronged, when we get to the bottom of it, when we peel away all the layers, the thing that is affected is our egos and our pride. The thing that has been damaged is our ego and our pride. And Jesus says, forget that. That is not the way of the kingdom. Self-protection. Like one of the best books I could recommend to you as a church is Keller's, is it The Art of Self-Forgetfulness? Where we are to forget ourselves. That's what Jesus is talking about here. All of these you have heard it said, coat. You've heard it said, eye for eye. You've heard it said, all these things. When you get to the crux, it's ego. It's ego. We are not to extract personal revenge. Ultimately, of course, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these examples that we've just looked at. Jesus is the fulfillment of every single example that we have just looked at. 
all of the examples that he used himself in the Sermon on the Mount, he knew that he was going to a place where he would find this out to be true for him. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. I wonder, was that going through Jesus' mind when he was being beaten? For whose sake? Our sake. The third party. When someone takes your coat, give them the rest. I wonder, was he thinking that when he went to the cross and was stripped and was beaten? For who? Us. The third party. When Jesus was slapped, I wonder, was he thinking about turning his other cheek on the road to the cross was he thinking about going the extra mile for who for us the third party you see the reality is Satan tries to beat us tries to degrade us, tries to bring us down, and Jesus steps in. Our faithful, beautiful, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, big, perfect brother, and bothers him. How? by literally laying down his life for us. We deserve it. We deserve it. And yet Jesus, no ego. None. No ego took a beating when he could have done something about it. Took the insults when he could have called armies of angels. Took the cross when at any point could have said, no, we're stopping this. For us. In our place. That is our faithful big brother. He laid down his ego that we could go free. We're called to do the same. No egos. No egos. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for our beautiful big brother, Jesus.
for him stepping in to defend us. And he does so today. When Satan comes and Satan accuses, he's there interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. And he will ever be our defender. He will always step in to defend us. That is the good news of the gospel. Father, we are thankful that we don't need to defend ourselves because of that. For that very reason that he's our defender, we don't need to defend ourselves. And so help us to forsake our egos. Help us to to lay down our desires for personal revenge. Help us to get over ourselves, Lord. We need your spirit. We need your spirit's help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.